Is this a five cup of coffee morning for anybody else? Because I think this is five. I haven't been counting because it made me sad the higher I got her, but here we are. I don't normally bring it with me on a stage or onto a rug, but you know, here we are today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter two today as we end our storied season. This is the last Sunday of our season that we've been walking through called storied. Um, and just to warn you, this passage is a bummer. So just be prepared for that. This is not like super uplifting or encouraging where we're, where we're going in the text today. Um, but this is such a cool day where we're gathering together and we've had so many different people using their gifts to bless us. We've got arts that's been made by our community. We've some sung songs that have been written by our community. We're celebrating afterwards with a block party together with our community and a food truck. It's a beautiful day. And I'm so excited that we get to do this together. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 17. Most scholars think it's Solomon writing here. He says, So I hated life, told you, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave it all, leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Told you. Kind of a bummer. Let's pray. God, we are here in your name and in your presence with your people, asking you to form our hearts and our minds to be more like you. So as we do often when we gather, we ask that your voice and your name are the only name that matters. Anything that's not from you would be revealed so it can be rejected. But what is from you and will form our hearts into your likeness will be remembered. So that the only name that matters today is the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, When I was in high school, I got super into poetry. And that happened in a very predictable manner for a 15-year-old emo kid. I was super into Edgar Allan Poe. I was like, this guy's writing sad poems about ravens. He gets me. Like, this guy gets it, right? Like, I was was quoting Annabelle Lee to all my girlfriends. We loved with a love that was more than love, right? As if I knew what that meant. I thought his line, what if all that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream, was so profound. I could have never told you what it meant, but I thought it was so profound, right? Fortunately, being emo was just a phase, Mom, but the... Poetry wasn't really just a phrase. I've always liked poetry. Now, I realize not everybody likes poetry. Some of us just, you don't want someone to say, I looked at a bluebird and felt the color of the feathers. Just tell me you're sad, right? Just say what you mean. Um, But the thing about poetry 
the, the goal, the idea of poetry is that words can mean more than they literally mean. Words can imply things. Words can sound like other things. Words can be put together in a cadence such that it stirs something in you. A rhyme pattern can inspire you. Words can be drawn from other words that gives a different meaning to the word that you're reading in the context it's written in. A great example of this comes from one of my favorite poems. It's one of my favorite lines in poetry um, from what I've read, which admittedly is not a ton, but it's the poet John Berryman in his poem Dream Song One. He wrote this line. A lot of people believe that this poem was written after his father passed away at a young age, and he penned this line. Once in a sycamore I was glad. Once in a sycamore I was glad. I love that line. Because he could have said, when I was younger, it was easier to be happy and carefree. He could have said, life had more joy before my father passed away, but he didn't. He said, once in a sycamore, I was glad. Now, if you grew up in church, you might be thinking about a wee little man, and a wee little man was he who climbed up in a sycamore tree the Lord he wanted to see. And you might then be led to wonder, I wonder how Zacchaeus felt. Was he glad once in a sycamore tree? How did he feel when Jesus said his name and noticed him? Or you might be thinking about a place from your past where there were sycamore trees and that place is just distinctly connected to good memories or to painful memories and you hear that line and the words mean something but it means something else to you and now you're contributing together you're partnering with that it means something unique to you because of the experience that you're bringing in or or maybe you hear the line once in a sycamore i was glad and it reminds you of when you were a kid and you used to climb trees and you weren't scared of heights you didn't care about looking down it didn't bother you when the wind blew and it makes you wonder when was the last time i really felt carefree and like i wasn't afraid of falling once in a sycamore i was glad poetry words in poetry mean more than what they literally mean. So in scripture, when we find, every once in a while, we find poetic passages in places like Psalms, in places like the Song of Solomon, or in places like Ecclesiastes, where we can do a really good job of translating into English exactly what the words mean, but we can miss the poetry because the original words were made to sound like other words and remind you of other words. And in this passage that we read, you probably noticed a refrain. It actually operates almost as a chorus in the book of Ecclesiastes. The teacher, Solomon, writes, Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now that's not an inaccurate translation, but it does miss the poetry. Because the first word that we come across meaningless, the first word that stands out in this phrase, is a Hebrew word that literally means breath or vapor. It means something that's intangible, something you can't grab a hold of, something that's here and then it's gone and it's fleeting and it it just doesn't have any significance. You see it and you want it, but it's gone. This is most likely what James was thinking of when he wrote later in the New Testament that our lives are but a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. And in the Hebrew, much like Spanish and other languages, there are gendered words, there are gendered terms in Hebrew. So this is a masculine noun, but the word that follows it, we translate chasing. Now this word is 
translated pretty accurately, it does mean chasing. It does mean desire. It does mean longing. But it's often used as a feminine word. And at least some scholars believe that at its root, it can mean the longing for female company. Not quite lust, but loneliness. That feeling you get when you're just so tired of being alone. This, this word is only used in the book of Ecclesiastes in the entire Bible. So Solomon took a rare, a unique word to make a specific statement. Everything is meaningless. Everything is breath, longing, desperate, lonely for the wind. Now that word wind, it's literally translated wind. But in the Hebrew, that word is ruah. And it's a word that, much like many words in English, has a literal physical definition, but it has come to represent over time and use something more, something maybe metaphysical. It's come to represent spirit. It's come to represent soul. It's come to represent essence or being. It's a word that's used all over the Old Testament. And the first time we encounter that word is in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, the earth was formless and void, But the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. And we see it again when God breathes life and when the Spirit moves in powerful ways. See, Solomon has crafted a turn of phrase. Does it mean everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind? Yes. But that loses the poetry. Because he's saying something more like, everything is just a breath chasing the breeze. Everything is just a vapor that wants to be a spirit. Everything is just outside of our grasp. Have you ever been out of breath? I feel like I've been out of breath since I turned 30, um, which it just like, it sneaks up on you really quick. Like you wake up the next day and sleeping was hard and you're sore after you turn 30. Um, That's not really the type of out of breath I mean. I don't mean the like, man, I got to hit the gym. I mean the like, Wind knocked out of you, feel like I can't breathe anymore, out of breath. You ever felt that? I remember the first time I felt that. I was probably eight or nine years old. I fell backwards, and somehow in the middle of my back, I fell on a Tonka truck. And it just knocked the wind straight out of me. And I was horrified. I thought I was dying. I had never felt anything like that. I had never experienced my lungs being force-emptied by, by anything like that. It was a horrifying experience. You ever felt that? Or maybe you felt that out of breath when you have pushed yourself to the limit of your physical capabilities. You worked really hard, you ran, you walked, and you did more than you thought was possible. So when you finally stop, you're gasping for breath, and it just feels like you are never going to be able to replenish the amount of oxygen that you lost. It feels like no matter how long you keep breathing right now, you're never going to catch up for what you just expended. That's what Solomon's talking about here. He's crafted a phrase to represent that experience in life. That experience where life sidelines us out of nowhere. And it's like the wind just gets knocked out of us. And we wonder, is it ever going to change? Is it ever going to get any better? Some of us might be really familiar with that feeling. Some of us might have felt it once or twice. Some of us, it might have been such a common occurrence that it just feels normal. It's not just that. 
it also represents that, that feeling you get when everything on paper is going right in life. The finances are in the right place. The relationships are in the right place. You finally got the job you wanted. Everything on paper is right, but for some reason it still doesn't feel right. It still feels like even though you're breathing, even though you're right there, you just can't fill your lungs metaphorically. You just can't get what it is that you're longing for. Everything should be perfect in life, but I still don't feel fulfilled. See, that's what Solomon was talking about, that feeling that we get where it says, I don't know why, and I can't explain it, and I can't put my finger on it, but something is missing in life. It's just out of reach, and I'm not sure if I'm ever going to attain it. Now, Solomon has a really interesting life, and when we understand his story, it contributes to what we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, because Solomon was a king of Israel, and Solomon, as king, was given, kind of like a genie, a request from the Lord. This only happens to Solomon, for the record. We don't get wishes from the Lord. The rest of us don't. But Solomon is given one request to the Lord, or for, for the Lord. And Solomon, as king, rather than wishing for wealth or for influence, he wishes for wisdom. He asks for wisdom, and God honors Solomon's request and gives him wisdom. Solomon and becomes the wisest man on earth. But because God sees the humility in Solomon's request, he also gives him wealth and he gives him influence. And Solomon becomes, quite literally, the most powerful man on earth. He represents the height of Israel's splendor, the point in the history of the people of God where they are the most powerful nation in the known world, and he is the most powerful man in that nation. People literally travel from all over the known world to come listen to Solomon teach. But not only that, he built a temple. He builds this lavish act of worship that represents a religious high point for the people of Israel as well. But as we read the story of Solomon, what we realize is that in spite of his wisdom and in spite of his wealth and in spite of his original humility, his heart gets taken by the things that he has. And the book of Ecclesiastes seems kind of like a retrospective, as if Solomon, the teacher, has reached the end of his life and he's examining everything that he's accomplished. And he adds this refrain. He, he discusses hard work. He says, I put my hand to labor. I worked hard with my time under the sun. I toiled and prospered, and it was meaningless. It didn't fill that longing. And then he says, well, I was lazy. I examined the life of someone who does not work, a fool in his folly. And I realized that even though hard work is better, they're both meaningless. They're both just a breath chasing the breeze. He says that I had more wealth. I got for myself, I attained for myself everything that a human being could want. Everything. I gave license to every carnal desire. I had everything and every ounce of pleasure, and I found that it was meaningless. So I turned, and I examined the life of a righteous person, and I was legalistic, and I followed every rule and stipulation, and I've come to realize that even though following the laws of God are better, they are both just a breath chasing the breeze. They're both just a vapor, desperate to be a spirit. Everything is meaningless. Over and over and over again, he examines faithfulness and unfaithfulness, wealth and poverty, wisdom and foolishness, work and laziness, and he continues to come to this same conclusion. One of my favorite songwriters is Taylor Goldsmith from the band Dawes. 
But he communicated a similar idea in one of his songs. He wrote about all of the accolades and accomplishments that we can experience in life. Serving the poor, finding love, winning awards, taking classes for bettering ourselves. And he summarized the whole song in a haunting chorus. He said, it didn't fix me like I thought it would. The teacher, Solomon, might have said something like, I'm still out of breath. I still can't catch my breath, no matter what I accomplish. Like I said, Ecclesiastes is a bummer. Ecclesiastes paints a vivid picture of the life that we have apart from God, of the life that we can make on our own. It paints a clear and vivid and beautiful picture of what happens when our effort and our striving is our primary source and our primary meaning. And it's worth noting that Solomon realizes, and we realize as well, that the ability to work hard is a gift from God. The ability to eat good food and drink great coffee, Landon, and enjoy life, this is a gift from God. It's a beautiful thing that he's given us. It's just not the thing that we're seeking. And no matter what we create and what we build and what we experience, we're always going to be left just short. Whether we're derailed and miss it altogether, or whether it's just at our fingertips, but we can't grasp it, that thing that we're looking for always lies just beyond reach. I think it's important to note that the teacher, Solomon, that God, I think we all know, you work yourself to the bone, I mean, you can't take a day off. It's because there's a fear that you're going to miss out, that someone's going to outwork you, that, that what you're longing for only comes through hard work, so you keep going and you keep striving and you miss out on many things in life, and, and we know why. It's because of that, that longing to be fulfilled that it seems like this is the only way to accomplish it. I think the teacher knows why some of us bounce around from job to job year after year. Is because we, we feel like we're going to miss out. We feel like our dreams and our visions and, and everything we're seeking is lying somewhere else and we're so scared of missing out on our calling that every new opportunity that comes, we just chase it down. And every new opportunity we spend a year in it and it falls just short, so we chase the next one. Solomon knows why some of us have such a hard time saying no to anything anybody asks of us. Because that idea of fulfillment for us is so deeply linked to what other people say and what other people think. And we feel like if, if we disappoint other people, then we are going to lose those relationships that give us fulfillment. So we compromise. We compromise our mental health. We compromise our boundaries. We compromise our values. Solomon knows. That's the summation of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all a longing. And it's worth noting here. The longing isn't wrong. The desires are not sin. Because the desires point us to what we do not yet have. The desires point us, they direct us and tell us that there is something that we're longing for. Anytime, every once in a while in scripture, we find a theme that goes beyond one writer. We find a theme that goes beyond one book, and it seems to be um, an artistic flourish woven into the story of Scripture. And 
this refrain is, is a story, it's a, it's a chorus that's echoed often in Scripture. It begins when we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and we see the wind blowing on the sea to part it, and we see these themes all over Scripture, and we come to Ecclesiastes, and we see the teacher saying, this is the best we can hope for. The best we can hope for is to work hard and follow God and enjoy our life, but even this is meaningless. It's, but then we get to Jesus, and we get to this interesting Greek word. There's this word in the Greek that's very similar to the Hebrew word ruah. It's the word pneuma. It's the word by which we get words like pneumonia or pneumatology, words that have to do with breath, words that have to do with breathing and wind. And it's a word that has a physical definition, but that's come to mean something spiritual. It's come to mean essence and being. So then we read in the book of, in the Gospels, we read that Jesus on the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And maybe we remember that everything is just a breath longing to be a spirit. And then John tells us that Jesus, with his last breath, whispered, it is finished, and he breathed, he knew mud his last. And we hear that everything is just a breath longing to be the breeze. And then Jesus resurrects, and the disciples wait. And do you know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for the gift of the Spirit. They're waiting for the gift of the pneuma. They're waiting for the gift of the Spirit and the essence of of that thing that they've always been longing for that's going to come. And then in Acts chapter 2, the disciples are waiting for the promised gift, and they're waiting in the upper room, and it says that a sound like a rushing wind filled the room, and the Holy Spirit, the pneuma, filled the room and filled the believers. See, what I'm telling you is that in Jesus, what we see is not just that we are forgiven, not just that we are set free, not just that we are transformed, but that we are reconnected to the thing from which... for which we have been longing for our entire lives. This is where scripture goes. Ecclesiastes is telling us about the longing, but Jesus is telling us about the fulfillment. We do not have to live void of purpose. We do not have to live feeling like what we're longing for is just out of reach and just beyond touch because the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit fills us. This is the thing that Solomon was longing for that every follower of Jesus has been gifted with. It's the Holy Spirit. And listen, I'm not saying that life gets easy, that everything gets better, that things just that we never have that unfulfilled lack of purpose feeling in life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there used to be a hunger, but through Jesus, there is a taste. And if there is a taste, then there will be a feast. There used to be a hunger that told us we were missing something. But now we are reconciled to God and fills with the spirit. We can taste and see that the Lord is good. So we know, we know on the days where it doesn't feel like it, we know, we remember, we're reminded from the consistent work of the Holy Spirit in our stories. We are reminded that what we taste today, we will feast on in eternity because God will make everything right. This is why purpose is written on the wall in the fold because we do not have to live void of purpose. We can find the thing for which we are longing. So maybe today you find yourself in a place where you have never truly trusted Jesus and you are tired of feeling like everything is meaningless. Just chasing the wind. I want to offer that Jesus is not the key that fixes all of your problems, but he is the taste of the thing you are longing for. He is the invitation into the purpose for which you were created. 
And he opens the door for the Holy Spirit to fill us and reconcile us to God so that we can live a glimpse and a glimmer of the life for which we were always created. Like Paul said, now we see it as in a mirror, but we will see fully. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus, but if you are very honest with yourself, you would admit that you've just kind of lost that feeling of purpose. You believe but you've gotten so trapped and so caught up in the mundane in trying to make your own fulfillment and design your own purpose. And you've gotten tired and it feels like you're out of breath. And today you need to simply respond to the invitation to let the Holy Spirit breathe on you again. Let the Holy Spirit provide that purpose again. The Holy Spirit will be faithful. The Holy Spirit is kind when we turn over our striving and our building and our accomplishing for ourselves and trust the work of the Holy Spirit. He is faithful and just. So we're going to break our fast for those of us who have been fasting and we're going to end our storied season with communion because where there was a hunger, there is now a taste so that we know there will be a feast. So in just a few moments, you're going to be invited to participate in communion as we prepare to end our time in worship. You can go ahead and come up, Josh. We've got two different stations for communion in the back that are individually wrapped. Communion options here we will be taking by intinction. Let me move my coffee so that you don't dip in the coffee. We will be taking by intinction in which you take a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice and you consume both together. In the back there are individually wrapped containers if you would feel more comfortable with this. These are gluten-free options. Those are not gluten-free. Now that all of that information has been taken care of, we approach the table of communion together, trusting that the thing for which we have been longing is found in Jesus. So we will taste physically what we know we can taste spiritually. This will be a physical reminder in which we use our senses to remind our hearts what is true. So on the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. After giving thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat, do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, poured out for the salvation of many. Every time you drink, do so in remembrance of me. In a few moments, we're going to continue in worship. I want to encourage you now, spend some time with the Holy Spirit. If you need to ask the Holy Spirit for that fresh wind, for that breath, that breeze again, and spend some time just confessing that you are longing for it and trust the Holy Spirit will give it. And when you're ready, come to the front or to the back.